Welcome back to the City of Palms podcast. Thank you for watching, viewing, and subscribing. Episode 82, Spark Twain. How you doing, bro? I'm doing excellent. Look at this microphone now. It's, uh, it's happy. I'm happy to be here. You guys are doing a, a sweet thing. Uh, I've been on a couple podcasts, but this is above and beyond the best podcast setup I've been involved with. Dang, that means a lot. For real. Yeah, I know. This is awesome. Much appreciated. How was your day today? What were you up to today? It was a good day. I woke up at my friend Zach's house. Uh, the guy who plays saxophone for San Carlos Park. I was out playing drums with him last night in Naples. And like, uh, I don't know. I think I might end up living with him. We'll see. You know, I'm taking things slow. I'm getting older. I'm like, yo, slow is always the way to take things. So yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, and that's right here in San Carlos Park. So nice. and it's like a sweet neighborhood. And then uh, I went to Botanical Brewing Company downtown. Um, and I was just spent the day writing. Every time I go there, I think I'm going to get a lot of work done, but then I just end up talking to all the people that are there. What is that place like? I've never been there. It's like, it's a sister company to Kava Culture, um, and Kava Culture is like a Kava bar, and Botanical Brewing Company is the only Kava brewery in the world, which is as true as me saying I'm from the largest village in the United States. Uh, I'm from the largest village in Wisconsin. I don't know what the largest village in the United States is, but you ask me, I'm from the largest village in the United States. I, <laughs> I can't find any evidence against that. So I can't find any evidence that says this isn't the, large, the only Kava brewery in the world, but I know that there's other places, there's other Kava breweries, but this is like, when it comes to mass production, I mean, this is the go. This is going to be the one. Really? Oh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> sure. What sets them aside? Are they just pushing out tons of Kava or tons of different flavors? or? They're, nobody's, first of all, um, kava is kava is a type of tea that comes from uh, the South Pacific, and kratom is also known as elixir. And that um, I don't know where that comes from. It's not exactly the same as kava, but I think it's. And I don't even want to say it's a tea, but these are the two things: kava and then elixir. And the reason they call it elixir is because kratom is not legal everywhere. It is an opiate, um, but it's not like a dangerous opiate. I mean, I'm promoting it as like, do this instead of drink alcohol because I write a blog about addiction recovery. So, um, <clears throat> you know, and this is like a lot of people don't talk about all this stuff because you want to keep things low key, you know, mm -hmm. but they call it elixir. And that's like, uh, that's what we're calling it. It's elixir. And Kratom is something that's not widely accepted throughout the United States. Um, but this place is Bruinum, and it is legal here in Florida for sure. Um, but like where I'm from in Wisconsin, it's not. You know, and I don't know what it's scheduled as, but they're brewing it down here. And I think it's something that a lot of people just didn't want to touch. It's like a gray area of legality. So people were scared of it, but it's big in Florida. Like I had never heard of Kava until I came here. And then I like looked up bars or something downtown like i wanted to go to a coffee shop or something during the day and like i might still look up a bar and go in there and sit there you know what i mean um but then i found this kava bar went in there started writing i'm asking all these questions and i come to my own conclusion like oh this is a great place for recovered addicts to hang out um and woo woo months later they like built the brewery and now i'm kind of getting the feel like yo i i i'm like just moved in here because like my dad bought a house here so i moved out of san francisco like bet i'm gonna move in with my dad and start a business and now I live down the street from the only Kava brewery in the world. And I think it's going to be the third pillar of addiction recovery. It's like you've got church meeting rooms where they host AA meetings. 
You've got coffee houses where people go during the day because they can't drink anymore. They used to do some day drinking. I used to drink in the morning all the time. Getting out of that, we're going to the coffee house. But even coffee is pretty strong, you know. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to have kava bars. That's going to be the third pillar of addiction recovery. And it's coming all across the world to you. And I'm here at the first one in the world. And I've already been writing a blog about addiction recovery for a year. You know, I woke up at at 5 in the morning for 280 days in a row this year uh, writing a blog about addiction recovery. Wow. Um, trying to get it to the top of Google and that's a whole thing. I really couldn't make money doing that. So, <laughs> um, but it's just like, uh, really cool to be here. So what, what is it? It's kind of uncharted territory, but I definitely think that Kava and Kratom are like, uh, going to be really attractive to an individual who's fighting addiction recovery. And what they're doing down there is they're just being loud about it, you know? Um, so it's like, it's super chill. The atmosphere is like something I, you know, it's something here in Florida. I'm coming down here and there's like some sort of renaissance going down here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And this place is part of that. And I'm going to write about why. Sparktwain.com. I got a blog there. Um, I got to rearrange the blog and put it back on the home page. Right now, right now you got to go to sparktwain.com slash secret blog, <laughs> which I'll probably move. Um, <laughs> but as I, <clears throat> I've been having a real problem thinking like, what if I achieve my dreams and a million people find out about me overnight and now they can all read my blog and they're in my head. Almost all my writing I created to not be read until after I was dead. Um, But now I don't think that that's going to happen anymore, you know, especially because my goals change or it's just like, that's not what I was expecting, but I was just like, that's how I'm going to get the most out of my writing. It's just like, that's how I write, you know? Yeah. Um, And now it's all on the internet, crazy stuff, a lot of stuff about sex and like how I'm feeling about women at the places where I'm sitting and writing just like, yo, this is how I feel about the girl behind the counter. And, and it can be pretty like good, but I'm a man and I write things that I write. Um, <laughs> like so, you, you ever seen the show you on Netflix? You. It's a good show. It's called you I'm on Netflix. Watch. I'm going to watch it now. There you go, dude. And he, that's what he does, bro. He sits in there and he types and stuff and he writes, he's a little sketch, but, but it's like <laughs> he, on he that goes, level. He goes another level. Yeah, he goes another level, but the show's good, but. Now on that premise, yeah. I'm going to check it out. And these are the things I write about. Like, I wanted to write horror for a long time and still do. Like, and this is, if I, you know, you take any author, if you're the kind of person that has the ability to, like, SVU, you know, Special Victims Unit, Law and mm-hmm. Order, somebody has to write those episodes. If you're the kind of individual that can write about rape, what does that say about you? But I have no choice. Like, I write whatever I write. I don't write about rape. Probably not. I've definitely written about it in the context of like, you got to talk about this stuff when you don't talk about things. That's how they get power. Yep. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. So sometimes it's an uncomfortable conversation, but you know, have you ever heard of a gentleman named Charles Bukowski? Uh-uh. He's a poet. Uh, he also writes and like, he would write some crazy stuff like that. Like he, this is, we're getting into it. Uh, he wrote a short story called, uh, should I choose writing as a career? And so I bought a short storybook of his and I had never read anything of his. And I was like, bet, this is the first one I'm going to read. And he gets on a plane and he's talking about how he's choosing which of the stewardesses he would rape if the plane went down. This again, this man is dead now. Um, he's from Los Angeles. <clears throat> and reading this, you know, I'm like, whoa, that's like fucked up. You know what I'm saying? But he wrote it and, and he is like one of my favorite authors. You know what I mean? Not saying... What do y'all think about that? I didn't know what to think, but I'm just telling you I observed it. Like, whoa, that's what this guy wrote about. 
And it just makes you think like, there's the conversation. There's the conversation about it. It's not saying nothing. It's saying something. It's not taboo, but this is what he had to say about it. And then I started thinking like, what kind of person are you when you write this stuff? You know, and I had been thinking that for a long time earlier with murder earlier with, you know, like just anything you could write about with horror, you know? Um, but then when I read that story, I was like that, you know, it was the first one I read. Now I've read a lot of his short stories, but just like, yo, that guy wrote that and it's out there. You can read it. Charles Bukowski. He's crazy. Did he acknowledge the horrors of it or did he just speak about it like like everyday talk in his writing? He spoke about it like everyday talk, but he definitely, when, I don't know how old he was when he wrote that, maybe 45, 65. I mean, he could have been an old man when he wrote that kind of stuff. Um, he definitely talks about like being a dirty old man and, and he talks about sex all the time. Like his books will be like, you know... Uh, yeah, I left my house about 4.45 and then I was walking down Peach Street and this girl in front of me with a huge ass and I just wanted to bury my face in it and fucking stick my fingers in her asshole and shit. And like, <laughs> he really gets into it when he's writing, you know? And, and it's like, and I kind of changed my writing for that. Like, I'll be like writing, I'll be like, I'm writing to you from this donut shop on Peach Street and, you know, there's this girl behind the counter and like, she's beautiful and I kind of wonder if she likes to get choked while she gets fucked. Like, I'll just keep writing this. This is, like, what I'm thinking. Yeah, it's what yeah. I'm writing. Yeah. And it, it like, uh, makes me feel good, I guess. But <clears throat> I'm a bit intense, you know? Like, uh, and I have problems talking to women. And maybe I think this guy did, too, when I'm reading his stuff. It's like, yo, you're writing that kind of stuff. That's not something your mother should read. You know what I'm saying? So, <clears throat> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of lost in the sauce. But that, stuff, but that stuff you're posting on the blog? I have stuff yeah. like that, yeah, and yeah, long yeah. time ago. Oh, oh, well, I have like two thousand single space pages of unedited writing that I still have to publish. Eventually, it was just like all I. I used to publish it, or I used to write it, and then think like I'm gonna edit it right away and publish it. And so there's like hundreds of articles on my website I wrote, you know. But then once I started writing more in San Francisco, especially about that stuff, uh, actually, like low key, I was dating a girl and I started writing that stuff, and I was like, well. She can't read this, you know, that's like a problem. This is who I am as a person. And so I stopped publishing it <laughs> and eventually it just started to stack up and stack up. And like, you know, I broke up with the girl and I figured a lot of things out. I study relationships pretty hardcore. I say the second hardest thing I've ever done after overcome addiction and alcoholism is break up with any one of my girlfriends. It's just becomes the second hardest thing I have to do ever. And it's just like emotionally, I write that we're going through something called the emotional revolution. You know, I've written this for years. It's just like, I think overall people all around us are changing how they react to their emotions. You know what I mean? Like I can love someone and still have to break up with them, you know? And that's just something I had to grow up and learn to deal with. You know what I'm saying? And, and I did. So I was writing about like this kind of stuff. Like I'm at this place and there's this beautiful girl here and I really want to have sex with her, but I have a girlfriend and I would just write about this stuff. Um, so some of it is on the website. Some of it is not. I welcome anyone to go to sparktwain.com slash secret blog and check it out, which is eventually just going to be like sparktwain.com slash blog. Um, but I re building the website. It's kind of confusing. You really shouldn't change those things all the time, but when you have the power, it's so easy, mm -hmm. uh, but right. it definitely messes with your Google search rankings. And how long have you been writing the blog for this blog? Um, May, 2017. Like my dad works with computers and he always told me like, if you ever want a website, just let me know. So right before I left Wisconsin, this is kind of before we started this, I was telling y'all about how I got into working in a hostel. I was in Wisconsin, girl I knew worked at a hostel. She was like, let's do it. So then when I decided to leave, I told my dad like, yeah, I kind of want to do get a website. So he put one together for me, 
hosted it like at his office and now I pay for hosting uh, through a company called SiteGround. But so, so May, 2017, I was up and running and I was like, okay, I just, I'm just going to write. I just no expectations. I just know that I'm leaving and I know that nobody becomes a great writer if they never do anything. My goal in starting the blog was to practice so I could write a book someday. And I found out the girl who wrote Gone with the Wind, like that was the only book she ever wrote. But most of the time, people who are great authors, they don't, it doesn't just happen. Don't wake up one day at 35 and be like, I am the greatest writer. I'm going to write a novel now. Like you got to mm-hmm. practice. So I decided, I was like, I know I need to practice. So I'm just going to write whatever I want. Who cares what it is? Uh, and that was June, that was May, 2017. And then I left Wisconsin, June, 2017, moved into the hostel, went to Seattle, as I was saying. Then when I got to San Francisco, I was living in North Beach and all these beatniks were there. This is how I found out about Charles Bukowski, even though he lives in Los Angeles or he did. Like, have you ever heard of Jack Kerouac? Nope. Mm-mm. So he was an author from the 50s. It almost like leaps a generation. Like, you ask your grandma, she's going to know who Jack Kerouac is. You ask your mom, she's not going to know. But now you guys know. <laughs> and it's skipping right. a generation. But he wrote yeah. this book called On the Road. And I found out he's a stream of consciousness writer. So what does he do? The same thing that I do. He just, like, writes it. If you read the scroll version of On the Road, he wrote it in a scroll. Like, on a typewriter, all in one scroll. And the original one is just, like, 100 feet with no... Damn periods or any paragraphs that's stream of consciousness geez (laughs) yeah i can't lie i've never read on the road i picked it up and read the first 50 pages but i gotta be into a book i gotta get into it you know what i'm saying um i own a copy so that's when i started it was may 2017 to just start writing and and uh it's been a good time that's awesome dude like honestly i envy that i don't know i don't know many people that have done that but i do envy that he's a writer and he's, he writes books. He, he's like writing books and stuff, but a blog and stuff sticking to it. That's like stuff you see on like movies and TV. And I've never met anyone. Man, that's like, that's awesome. Dude, and it's honestly. important. Like as a writer, it, it's yeah. very important. The people, yeah. Cause dude, I, I'm on blogs all the time looking at stuff, looking at research and whatever. And I think a blog, like I think a blog with what you do is, is dope dude. And powerful too. I appreciate that. And, and you're the difference between research blogs and the blog I write, I learned really hardcore this year is I was like, I'm a good writer. I'm going to start a website and make money. I told you I own ASMR.community. When you find information on a blog, it's a totally different animal than what I do. But I do like understand what you're saying, you know, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. And, and it's what I write for the preservation of contemporary society. And there I have videos on YouTube, too, and people have even left comments. Uh, sometimes I wonder if they're throwing shade, but it's like it is true. Um, like I'm just a normal dude, but that'll be important in a hundred years. It'll be important that there was a normal dude writing about this stuff in a hundred years. Yeah. Yeah. And no, the, and the thing is too, I know that it's different your blog from a research blog, but it's like, I think no matter what you're writing about, no matter, like if someone's going through, even if they're not going through what you're like, you say you write a lot about like, uh, you know, everything addiction recovery though. That's one thing you, you, you've done to addiction recovery and alcoholism. Even if they're not struggling with that though, they might know somebody and then reading, reading what you write, you know, if they're just find it on the internet, you know, if it, it's just out there and they're like, Oh, you know, that's that I read this, they can relay the information. I I think it's, it's important to be out there. And I think not a lot of people are doing it. So that's what I'm saying. Power to you. dude. And, and it's really hard to develop that skill of like effective communication and like communicating through writing the way, you just are, you know what I mean? Like it's sometimes super hard to sit for some people to sit down and like type something as if they're just conversing yes. and doing something like that. Do you write every single day? Yeah. And if no, almost like journalistic. Still, yes. Like, yeah, I write every day. I don't, I don't publish every day, but like I said, yeah. I've got thousands of pages of unedited writing. I write every day. 
And that's difficult to do. And like you said, it builds towards like, uh, you know, if you do write a novel one day or, or, or have like a big published piece of work, you're going to be so well practiced that you're going to be able to crank that out. You know what I mean? Yeah. When some people it's, it's painstaking to just even get a hundred words on a page. Yes. And that's something I notice now. It's just like people are like, Oh, I'm having trouble writing this. I'm like, man, I can write three pages in like 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And see, I've always said, I think I read it. <laughs> uh, have you read on writing by Stephen King? No, but was, I've heard of it. Yeah, I think in that book he talks about it where it's like people talk about writer's block and with this stuck with me as I was like getting into writing and stuff is there's really I don't think there's any such thing as writer's block. It's just people being afraid to write something bad. You know what I mean? And it's just like you said you just write whatever even if it's a, you know whether it's good or bad you're just going to write, you know? And it's I see that as like putting a big piece of like clay on a table or something like that and especially if you're writing towards some bigger project you're you have like thought of it's you throw all that that uh material on the table and of course that's not going to make a sculpture yet but like getting it all out there you can't make anything if there's nothing on the table you know what i mean and like being having the ability to get it all out there with no fear and just and just get it out there eventually that's going to be a beautiful sculpture I appreciate that. Yeah. And that's how I've been starting to like, sometimes I even think like, maybe I should take some of these blog posts and put them together as a book. So people, cause it's a lot of stuff to dig through. It's a lot of clay. <laughs> yeah. I mean? uh -huh. It's my job to dig through the clay. That's what I'm learning these days. It's like all the clay is on the table and people are still looking at it like, okay, he's about to do something. He's about to do something, you know, cause I feel what you're, you're saying. It's like, uh, uh, I feel what you're saying. And that's what I've been doing. And actually, since I got down here, I kind of like, changed like yo i am good at writing and i do it and i'm good at putting the clay on the table so now i'm trying to uh make money you know i've been yeah. writing for a long time and it fulfills the soul but like now i'm gonna try and make money you know and then and then when i take to traveling and writing you know i'm 28 hopefully in my 30s i take back to traveling and writing i go to asia i go to europe i have i have a little bit of an income that i can carry with me because that's another thing like i want to be able to i'm really working to make money on the internet i've spent all year studying this trying to get this right make money on the internet uh so you can travel and write or at least diversify your income mm -hmm. and then i want to start like uh going to the next level with it yeah you know instead of just like like maybe write to get paid you know yeah because with oh, the blog yeah. i just do it for the soul but you know you got to provide value to people you know mm -hmm. yeah you drop a book too. That'll be that'll be fire. If you ever drop a book, you said you said you had plans of it prior. Yeah, my goal is to. Uh, well, I want to have you ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? Yeah. And so that was based on a book, which I've never read or picked up. Um, but it's a coming of age story, is what that is. It's like all the people from the same age group identify with that: the Vietnam War draft, you know, the the sixties. Um, he meets Elvis when he's a kid, you know, in that movie. And so I want to. Um, write a book that's kind of a coming of age story that's like a person who was born you know I was born in 92 and when they're born they're using the VCR and and then I can make up a lot of things I guess um, at the end or, or even just take it to where we are but like a coming of age story that really resonates with people who are like you know around around our age um, anywhere between 35 and 15 maybe um, kind of kind of seeing this whole progress and and you know what I like, uh, I left Wisconsin thinking this is what I want to do. I want to like have experiences happen to me so I can write about them and have some experiences for this book. Cause you know, in Forrest Gump, like the very specific things I'm thinking is like when he's a kid, he meets Elvis in, in his house. Elvis is just there as a guest at his house playing guitar, but 
you don't know it, or this kid doesn't know it, but that person's going to grow up to be Elvis. It's like meeting the, the president when you're a baby. And I have the power to write about this and make people feel these emotions. And then I started traveling and like crazy things started happening to me. Like, uh, like, like I went to India and I rented an Airbnb and I stayed at this Airbnb for three weeks. And by the time I was in week two, I'm like in the family. They're like telling <laughs> me about their daughter and all the drama in the family. <laughs> and then they tell me, the lady's like telling me, she's like, oh yeah, I've got the other house on the other side of the city. We go there every night. Woo woo. And we're talking and I'm like, how'd you get it? Woo woo. Oh, my dad's house. And yeah, yeah, it was my father's house and he's not with us anymore. And he let this lady set up a mission on the second floor of her house, out of his house, you know, and the lady's name was Mother Teresa. And I'm like, what? You own the Mother Teresa house? And this person who owns my, I'm renting an Airbnb from. And like, the difference is I believe this person. Like I was living with this old lady for three weeks before she told me this or two weeks before she told me this. I'm like, you own the Mother Teresa house? Like, maybe I'll go over there and there's some old Mother Teresa diaries laying around. Like, but I'll tell you, traveling India was so intense, I didn't even make it over there to check the house out. Like, it was only like a 45-minute journey from where I was, but I was just like, I've been smoking weed all day, every day, until I got on the plane, and then I flew to India, and this was three weeks later, you know? So, but I know these people, um, Cecilia and Richard, and when I go back out to Kolkata, India, I'm definitely going to go see it. But it's just like, regardless of, you know, we, we, we heard something and then we decide that we believe the something, but furthermore, when I write a book, that's like the, that's my meeting Elvis as a kid, that experience happened to me. So I'm going to write a book about some person that just travels and amazing things like that happened to them. Like I couldn't believe that that happened to me. It was just like, yo, the universe kind of given me what I came for an unexpected thing. Like I want experiences to write about and that's what I get. Yeah. That's what I got. So that yeah. was like, you know, that's cool. Were you, were you writing at the time like yeah. you were, that you were traveling and stuff? You still wrote and stuff all the time? Yeah, for sure. I brought yeah. the, when I went to India, I only brought a laptop bag with two shirts and two pairs of underwear and a laptop and a couple other things, but like only a laptop bag. That's all Damn. I brought with me to India just to prove it could be done. Wow. You know? um, but I was writing while I was there the whole time for sure. How long was that flight? Where'd you fly out of? Flew out of Chicago because I went from San Francisco back to Milwaukee, visit my family for four weeks. And then I flew out of Chicago 14 hours to oh. uh, Doha, which is in uh, Qatar. And that's like right by Dubai. And then I had Damn. like a, what was supposed to be an hour and a half layover, but it was like 20 minutes. And then another six hours uh, to India, Kolkata, India. And the reason I flew to Kolkata when most people would fly to New Delhi, the flights are cheaper. It's the most popular city. It's definitely easier to travel. I'm sure of it because tourism is like a, if there's no infrastructure for tourism, it's hard to travel. Um, like I only met one American and in total six tourists when I was in Kolkata. I was like, wow, I'll tell you a story in a second. And um, so, so it was like a 20 hour flight. I, I think it was 14, but I'm pretty sure it was 14 to Doha and then another six hours to India. Yeah. Long, long ass flight. Damn. Um, but, but and then, um, cause I'd be telling, I told Ivan the hippie, I was like, you should go tour Asia. And this is why I tell people this. When I went to India, I went to this place called the Victoria Memorial, which is when the British uh, took over India, they ruled from Kolkata. Oh, so the whole reason I went to Kolkata is because it was going to be Christmas when I was there. And I wanted to go, I was like, all right, I'm going to go to the city in India with the most Christians or Catholics. Cause it's like, there's a lot of religions in India. So I knew that there's going to be, where's the highest concentrations of Christians? I'm going for Christmas. This is where I'm going to go. So it was Kolkata. <laughs> for good vibes? 
for good vibes yeah. and i love christmas yeah like, okay like, you know, me too me too yeah dude and yeah. it's like some people dog on that but it's like yo i can't help that it makes me feel good when people are just uh, in a good mood about yeah that, dude you know? yeah so so i went there because they have the largest christmas celebration and it was like a hundred dollars extra to fly there instead of new delhi um then I was going to say that before, and then I'm there, and I go to the Victoria Memorial, and I'm in there touring the Victoria Memorial, just like sitting on a bench, doing my own thing. This family walks up to me. They're like, can we take a selfie with you? And I was like, sure, you know, do it. And then my like, uh, two people sit down next to me, and the dad like takes a picture, and they go off, and then another family comes up. They're like, can we take a picture with you? I'm like, sure. 120 people in a row, man. All mm-hmm. I did was sit there. And be a white American. <laughs> and they just come. They came up to me and took eighty or hundred families Jeez. came up to me, and the, the father would be like, "Can I have? Can you take a picture with my wife and daughters?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, for sure." You know? And <laughs> I'm just sitting there, and they're taking pictures with me. For all I did was sit there for three hours and let people take pictures of me because I was like, "This is kind of cool," you know. I don't know what it is, but I have a feeling that if a band or a group went to India and toured, I mean, for $5,000, you could tour India for six months. But I think you would end up with an enormous amount of popularity because yeah. like, all I did was sit on a bench. You know, if I had started rapping, I think it would have gone like way up. <laughs> they would have went crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like, I don't know how to interpret all that, but that's what happened to me when I went to India. Did that continue yeah. happening through your whole stay there? Were you like always getting interactions like that? Yes, on the streets with the young people, but that was the most intense. Like when I went to this tourist site, because it was like tourists from all over India were coming here. It's like Washington, D.C. Um, like people from all over America traveled to D.C. So mm-hmm. if you're going to D.C., you know, if somebody from France goes to Washington, D.C., they'll meet a lot of people from D.C., but they're going to meet a lot of people from all over the United States. So I was meeting people from every corner of India. Um, and I don't know if that made a difference, but it was definitely like less intense. Like that day was like 80 or 120 people came up to me within three hours. That was like way, the other times it'd be just be like, I'm walking down the street and two kids would be walk up to me and be like, can we take a selfie? Sometimes I don't even ask. They just like come up to me and they take a <laughs> selfie and run away. You know? <laughs> um, and, uh, that was kind of hard to get past in India. A lot of the young people were kind of like fangirling, you know, but it wasn't until you hit like the, the men, um and and women maybe that were like 35 and over and then i'm just jumping into talking about business we're talking about world we're talking about politics i really got into the politics over there uh west bengal is the like state that i was in and they voted for a communist leader for 60 years in a row so they voted for communism for 60 years (laughs) and i'm like getting in there talking to the business owners about this so that was the kind of conversations i really would end up talking to a lot of like older gentlemen about that but a lot of the younger guys would just come up to me and take selfies which like cool but like you know i I got a lot of stuff up here I, i can talk too you know so but that was just what i noticed and then it's like okay but i also think that these people would love to come see me rap you know and that's like uh that's one of the reasons I went to India, I run, I used to run a lot of Instagram advertisements in India because they speak English, so they can read my blog, you know, and my only goal is to have my blog read, you know, and also they're like, they, if you want to learn English, you need material to learn with, and so you're not going to learn from some old Frankenstein book, like you can learn English by reading my blog, and like, I'm hip and cool, you know, you can really learn what's America like, like read my blog, I am an American, you know, yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, that was like a whole thing that I like there's a whole market in Asia and I'm interested in the market over there because I'm really I'm a really strong proponent of ethical capitalism and in a world where companies and corporations have routinely like 
you hear about like, oh, they shifted all over to Vietnam and then there's the, or over to China and now there's like sweatshops and stuff. It's like, that's a choice that every business owner makes. And so I'm not going to miss out on world economics. You just got to be louder about being like, no, I do business in Asia and I'm not a bad person. You know, because yeah. I've talked to many people who are like, oh, I don't want to go over there. It's just sweatshops. I'm like, no, I was there. I went to India. I'm telling you, like, I know a guy I need you need small metal parts made. I know a guy. You got to order at least a million. <laughs> you know, but it's like that was the guy who owned the Airbnb. Like he's like, my business friend's coming over and they just talked to me for a while. I was like, whoa, I don't think you guys know who I am. I'm just some, <laughs> you know, I don't need a million small metal parts. <laughs> Two million. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was like, you know, what was the most intense part about staying there? Um, like what was the most difficult part for you? In India, I knew I was going to leave when I couldn't buy a train ticket. Like I wanted to buy a train ticket to go from like Kolkata to New Delhi. And I went to the train station and I messed it up and I don't really know how, but it's just like, yo, some people would think I was Indian and just start talking to me in Hindi. Like I had old men come up to me and be like, are you from Kashmir? You know? And I'm like, no, you know, some of them talked to me in English. So they might've been a little like weirded out, but that was like a, I'm not very outgoing. So I, I don't remember what happened. But I remember like I went to the train station and I don't know if the lady just started talking to me in Hindi or what, what happened. Um, I don't think so. I think she was talking to me in English, but I tried to buy a, plane, a train ticket and I found it quite difficult. And then I was like, I just need to come back here, like practiced with more people or go to like New Delhi where they're more practiced with the tourism because like tourism is an art. I noticed that when I went to Thailand, like take my money, you know, take money and give me stuff like like I ate breakfast at the same place. Check this out. <laughs> so one dollar is 70 rupees and i ate breakfast at the same place down the street from my airbnb for three weeks like i stayed at three airbnbs one night one night three weeks and the third airbnb i'm there for three weeks i'm getting to know everyone in the street and um sushil this guy sushil he like made curry every morning potato curry and i go eat it it's so good and it was like 20 or 30 rupees so <laughs> 70 rupees is a dollar and this guy's charging me like 30 rupees for breakfast and after a week, he was like, stop paying me. It's on the house. And I was like, Dang. bro, please take my money from me. You know, <laughs> but that's how all of India was. It yeah. was just like, take my money and give me. That was like a good experience. But there was a lot of times where people would be like, money not required. I'll just show you. I'd be like, no, no, take my money. And more like, don't just do what you want to do, but kind of do what I want to do. You know, which sounds rude, but like tourism is a business. And at first it was like all cool because I'm involved in the culture of India. But then when you get to Thailand, they're treating it more like a business. It's like when you, it's like the difference between like you hire a band to come set up at your bar. And it's the difference between like a really personable band that's up at the bar asking questions and you really are informed about what the band's doing or the band that comes in, sets up, doesn't ask any questions, does all the business and leaves at the end of the night. And they're like, not a problem. Like you didn't, your, your bartenders, your cava tenders didn't have to worry about anything. The band, that's a that's a career band. They do it all themselves. They don't need to ask any questions, need no help. That's like travel in Thailand. India was like, they're always at, I couldn't order spicy food. There was just like, are you sure? It's going to hurt. I'm like, yes, tikka, 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 which means spicy. I found out I'm like spicy food, bring it to me spicy. Nope. Nobody would give me spicy food in India. Right. They were just scared to hurt me. And that's what I mean. There is no tourism. Just like I'm paying for it. Give it to me. Even if it's dumb. You know, oh, right. like even if even if I'm doing something dumb, just like let me do something dumb right now. This is what I'm paying for, but that yeah. didn't exist in India. But in Thailand, yeah. it's like 
I ate spicy food so bad I hurt myself. And the lady's like, I told you so. I'm like, thank you though. <laughs> that's what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, Yo, that's hilarious. Is it time for the break yet? Yeah, we should probably. Yeah, we've been going batteries. for a minute. We're gonna take a quick break, restart the cameras, all that goodness, and then we'll be right back for part two. Yay. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed the ads. We're gonna redo them soon. I promise. <laughs> Update them. Update them. Uh, all right. So, so I got a question. You you spoke earlier and said you worked at a hostel. What's a hostel? A uh, hostel is like a hotel, but with bunk beds. And the prices are cheaper. And it's like, okay, so also another way to describe it, I only went to college for two weeks. And it's like a dorm room. It's like a dormitory. So there's a room oh. with bunk beds in it, and you share the room with people. Um, but when, when most people ask me, I say it's like a hotel with bunk beds. Because mm-hmm. it's like, purpose is a hotel. I mean, it fulfills the place of a hotel. But you stay in a room where there's like 10 beds, you know, five bunk beds, two beds each. Okay. And the prices are lower. So where you might pay $120 for a hotel room, you'll pay $30 for a hostel bed. But you'll be in a room with some strangers. And at first that might seem weird, but it's definitely like way better. Like the community aspect is just like... I could see, yeah. Get, yeah. get a get a room with some dope people. Yes. And that are like in the yeah. same boat as you. If you're traveling and stuff, everyone's kind of going to be that backpacker lifestyle, right? Yeah. Depending on the hostel. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. Like I'll meet someone, you, you you settle into the room and there's like some other guy putting his stuff away. It's like, where are you from? You know, I'm from France. He's like, oh man. Yeah, this is my first time in Miami too. And then all of a sudden we're getting lunch together, you know? And it's right. like, I'm talking to this guy from France, you know? And that's like, was when I worked at the hostel, it's every day. But then when you travel, you know, I mean, you tell people you used to work at a hostel. It's just like, that's an invitation to like, I'm cool. You know, N- nothing, nothing like that movie you heard about. <laughs> like, uh, you know, um, so, so a hostel is a hotel with bunk beds and it's similar to, a, it's a dormitory style uh, rental situation. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Cause y'all had mentioned the movie off air earlier and I was like, I had never seen the movie. I was like, what the hell is I going I've on? never seen it either. I just hear that like bad shit happens because you're like just boarding with strangers or whatever. That's, that's a movie. Um, uh, no. So when you, when you work there, do you live there as well? Do you stay there? Like, do you just pick a room at night? Uh, well I did. It's like a hotel with bunk beds. Like any person over 18 can just show up there and rent a bed, of course. But I worked uh, 24 hours a week in exchange for room and board. So I got a room and free breakfast were the two things that were promised. But like a lot of people would travel and leave their food behind, especially in San Francisco. Like get some cliff bars. Yeah. 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 People will leave like three or four cliff bars behind. It's like, okay, cool. Like these are mine now. You know, (laughs) it's, it's best if you're like, choose the job that involves cleaning up the fridge, you will get the most free food. (laughs) Um, So that was like, uh, I cleaned the kitchen, you know, and I got free food. Um, So that's what I did. Worked 24 hours a week in exchange for room and board. Um, Yeah. And it was like, uh, I had heard of it a little bit because of the movie, a little bit because of the movie Euro trip. Um, But then, you know, when I actually got there, it was like a little different. It's like, whoa, this is a secret of life that I cannot believe I didn't unlock earlier. Like, if you're 18, nobody in America takes a gap year. They get out of high school, and then they go into college. Everyone in Europe takes a year off, and they go travel around. If they're rich, they come to America. If they're not rich, they go to Asia, and they meet up with me when I'm over there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and that's what they do in Europe. But in America, people aren't taking this gap year. I think people will start taking the gap year, and a hostel is a big part of that, like, Yo, I'm 28, and when I was living in the hostel, I was 26. But it's like mostly 18 year olds that are traveling. You know, oh. um, huh. I met a lot of like 18 and 19 year old people. You know, Word. for sure. 
That's cool, dude. Yeah. I bet that was a great experience just doing that. How long did you do that for? I worked at the Green Tortoise Hostel in Seattle for four months. And then I transferred. I worked at the Green Tortoise Hostel in uh, San Francisco for seven months. And then, of course, I did some traveling. Um, and I worked at a hostel in Milwaukee for a short amount of time. But that's like neither here nor there. I don't even really work there. I went there to work and I was like, yo, you guys need to do more work before I can even work with you. And that's like, I don't need to do anything, you know, so... Um, but also COVID hit and I'm, you know, I don't know if the people who own the Milwaukee hospital will see this, but it's like, I'm a businessman and life is not a fair thing. It sucks when somebody tells you that your business isn't running well, but like I've stayed at some hostels that have not been running well. Um, so I did, I did nine months, I did 11 months. And then like a couple of years later, I, I went back to another one, but that was like, uh, just kind of two months of not really working in a hospital, but I was there you know, mm -hmm. uh, as kind of as an employee, but that was more of just like that. I learned even more stuff about hostels about I, if I want to open a hostel one day, I, I want to open, yo. Know, so there's this place in Oakland called Zide door, Z I D E D O O R. And it's a weed church. If you go in there and they sell weed, but in order to hang out in the club, like you can just go out in there and hang out if you need a safe place to smoke. Um, but you have to sign a paper, like, do you believe that weed is your savior? type deal you know do you believe in the power of the ganja like what? As a religious what? Idol? and you sign it and then you can legally be in there and you get better pricing for that where is this at what country uh it's in oakland california there's just mosaics of snoop dog or something because <laughs> yeah, i used to go to these farmers markets for weed you'd go in there and they just got their five pound bags sitting on the table you know and it was like uh and and then when they legalized mushrooms in oakland you have the five gallon rubbermaid container of mushrooms like i remember the first time i ever saw that and i was like oh it's legal like it's so you guys are not even worried about a thing you know <laughs> and uh so there's this place called zydor and they're a weed church and i thought about opening a hostel that was also a weed church because like i want to open a hostel and i'm not going to sell weed but i'll give it away for free you know what i'm saying um so that was a i've thought about opening a hostel and then I've, I've stayed at hostels and i tried to work at a hostel once where it was more like i learned a lot about maybe not what what i wouldn't do you know as sad as that is to say but the truth is what the truth is yeah mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah damn wow lot to unpack here so then when it comes to you've made a part of your mission helping recovering addicts and alcoholics and stuff you've made that part of your mission through what you do under the name spark twain right yes and that's like uh you know it, it it's a slow natural process that is so natural to me it's almost it's like i didn't try like no i didn't try it just happened and it's one of the a lot of things in my life i try to do and i succeed and sometimes i fail but when it comes to helping recovered addicts i have no choice when I see somebody and I determine with a level of confidence, like I've been through this and I'm just going to make some, I know what's happening. Boom. They get to talk like this. Like I'll just start spitting at you for 20 minutes, real life stuff. I'll be like, you can lie to you, but you cannot lie to me. And then I just go in on them. And it's like, I, it took me seven years to get sober. So my goal is to help people get sober faster than that. It started with like, uh, yo, I had my first cigarette at 12, you know, I had my first drink at 12, by 14, I was smoking a pack a day, you know, at 16, I started maybe smoking two packs a day and eventually going back down to one pack, you know, and at like 17, I ended up like eating, I tried some of my first drugs and one of the first drugs I ever tried was methadone. And that obviously was just like some dude sold me his methadone and used that money to go buy heroin, you know what I mean? But I was just a kid and I remember I ate it and felt like I was kind of dying, but I kind of liked it too, you know? 
that's like, you know, something wrong with my brain probably. And so, you know, and, and I've pretty much done all the drugs except for I've never put a needle in my veins or in my body. Cause I, I saw like, that's it. If I do that, I'm probably going to die just based on everything else. I don't know. I didn't even think about it too hard. It was just like, no, I'm scared of that one. You know, and I never did it. It just didn't appeal to me. And, and it was a little scary, but you know, I had methadone and in a couple of years I was pop, popping some Percocets and then like I started sniffing some heroin because, you know, somebody was like, you want to try this? And it's looking back on it. It's so fun because there was another guy there who like didn't do it. And like he definitely judged me based on that first experience. But then I think about it. I'm like, yo, I knew that guy for like two years. And one day he was just like, do you want to sniff some heroin? And I was like, yes, and that was really not a good situation, you know? And so, you know, that's a really easy switch to make if you're popping Percocet, moving over to like heroin is like, it's the same drug. And then I stopped sniffing heroin after like a year. Um, and I still sometimes feel it, yo, this is a long time ago. That, that stuff fucks your nose up and I'm not going to lie about it. Do I feel a hundred percent? No, don't do it. Don't do that stuff. If you're sniffing heroin, you know, I have a service on Fiverr, fiverr.com slash spark twain. You put an underscore in between the spark twain. You can talk to me for 30 minutes. Uh, right now it's only $5. You can talk to me for 30 minutes about anything, but I specialize in addiction recovery. If you're struggling out there and you need somebody to talk to, I'm the only person on Fiverr offering peer to peer addiction recovery services, but I am there and you can get a hold of me. Uh, the guy I'm going to raise the prices. I'm hoping to get $50 an hour, but that seems reasonable because there's not a lot of people you can out talk to out there. It's, it's tough to be like, my time is worth that much, but I really believe I can help people. Um, so why not do it for free though? If you're wanting to help them, because I, I just feel like that could be powerful. I could be like, I feel like that could be powerful. Something free, you know, because people need that, you know, not everyone's trying to drop 50 though. hundred percent agree. And you know what? It's been a struggle. It's been a long time. And how can I, how can I, I have to make money. That's like, I've done everything except I can't seem to make money. Yeah. So this is the skill I have. This is me helping people for free. Like the truth is you don't need to talk to me in Fiverr. You can do it by yourself if you want to quit uh, addiction, but it's just really tough to do on your own. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and I, I, I did try and do it for free. I tried to, um, so woo woo, I stopped uh, sniffing the opiates and then I switched to drinking alcohol, which became a bigger problem because alcohol is available in every corner. I'm a little scared to go buy drugs. I'm not scared to go buy alcohol. So I'd buy it and I drink a lot of it. And then I figured out I had to quit that. Um, and I use this thing called ASMR. So we can get into that. ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. And what it is, is it's a physiological response that some individuals receive when they are cued by soft sounds, noises, or visuals. So when I was a kid and I'd go to the eye doctor and I'm sitting in the chair and they're like, all right, put it on my face. One, two, one, two. And I get tingles down my spine from that. I found it really relaxing. I love going to the eye doctor and the actual, the tingles down your spine, like the equivalent of goosebumps, the physical manifestation, the goosebumps themselves, not the thing that made the goosebumps, not how you feel about them. The goosebumps is the equivalent to the phrase ASMR, the autonomous sensory meridian response is the tingles down the spine. Oh, so there's all these videos online and I didn't even ask you guys if you know about this, but there's all these videos online between all sorts of different things about ASMR. Um, and, and I, uh, I used those videos. I was looking up guided meditations on YouTube and in the sidebar, I found ASMR videos and it was like this girl playing with water. She had stones in a bowl of water and she's just playing with them. And I like the sound and I'm listening to it. And so I would like 
listen to those sounds for like a long time. And, and if I really felt like I needed to drink, I would put it on and just kind of meditate because that want to do drugs or have a drink only lasts for sometimes only 30 seconds, sometimes 10 minutes or 15 minutes. You're feeling like I really need a drink. Like I need a drink. Like get out of my way. I'm getting this drink. That feeling's gonna go away in 15 minutes. Promise you that feeling will not last longer than 15 minutes. It's while while listening to ASMR or just or just in general. In general, if you're a recovering addict, mm-hmm. you, you'll get those. If you're an alcoholic, you'll get those cravings. And I fought it with ASMR. So it's when I okay, okay. when that came on and I started to realize like, yo, I don't have to. I don't have to worry about not drinking the rest of my life. I only have to worry about not drinking for the next 15 minutes. That's my, that's then, then when the next 15 minute session comes up, I worry about that. And listening to these ASMR videos really helped me do that. Uh, Still, I started listening in 2013 and I didn't get sober until 2018. And I told you it took me seven years to get sober. So that was like, I didn't even find ASMR right away. Like I was trying to get sober for like a year or two beforehand, you know, going to AA. I went to an outpatient program. Uh, checked myself in and there was 12 people in there and I was the only person in there that wasn't ordered to be there by a court of law like all the other people were forced there by a judge because they got in trouble I checked myself in and that's when I started to realize like maybe I'm a little bit different when it comes to addiction recovery you know like maybe I I these other people are being forced into it like I'm really you know I have to do it or I'm gonna die you know it's not like I'm getting in trouble the doctors are like you're doing a lot of damage to your body and there's all these things so Mm -hmm. That's when I started to realize that maybe I was a little bit different with it. And then slowly, you know, then eventually I got a DUI, went through the class and the guy's like, maybe you should consider like, you know, teaching this kind of stuff. We need more people who have been through it and not just went to school for it, but have never had addiction. And slowly, slowly. And then, um, you know, Spark Twain, like I wrote under a blog, heartofzeus.com. I told you guys, like when I left Wisconsin, the name of the website was heartofzeus.com. I just like started typing in website names and I was like, that's available. Boom. Bet $12. I bought it. <laughs> and, but then I was sitting in Vietnam smoking a joint one day and I was like, I am Spark Twain. So I like, you know, bought the website Spark Twain and I started writing my blog from that one. And I've always, uh, my, my goal with that in regards, you asked me about addiction recovery. Did I start that? Um, it was more like, you can be a recovered alcoholic and smoke weed. I smoke weed every day. And is it the best life I could live? Probably not. But I wish somebody would tell me to live different. It's better than alcohol. You want to, you, you, nobody's telling me how to live. I had to go through it. I had to walk through it. And now I'm on the other side of it. And that was like a tough thing. And it's really hard to have confidence in that. But my confidence is as hard as bedrock. And so now when it comes to helping other people, it's just like, I, I, I can do it for free, but I also have the choice where I'm actually skilled enough where I don't have to do this for free. You know, I, I like talking about Bitcoin. I can't charge for that yet. But when it comes to addiction recovery, something about the way that I talk to people, it's not fun, but it is successful. And it hasn't really been proven. I haven't had anybody uh, order my services on Fiverr. They've only been up there for three weeks. I also offer that I'll write anything about addiction recovery. And I did get somebody to hire me to write a training module for social workers at a safe injection site in Canada. Okay, that came through and I was like, yo, I'm getting trusted to do that. But it's like, I have confidence in it. Like I am, I am the dude for that. You know, when I talk to other people, it's like, you got to be the person you got to, you know, if you're going to claim you're the expert, you got to do it. You know, you got to do it with confidence all the time. Even if sometimes it's not that you have confidence, like other people are putting you on a pedestal and it's not important to maintain that. You got to talk about stuff and you got to like, you know, make it so things aren't taboo but if someone's like trusting you with addiction recovery like 
I never feel like I'm going to go back out and have a drink. But sometimes it's just like, you know, you know, this person could do this on their own, but they're choosing to do it with me. And that's like, I, I have a certain level of expectation to uphold with that. With addiction recovery, it's just a delicate thing. And there's a million ways to go about it, you know, but I think that like, I hope to help 10% of the people. Alcoholics Anonymous uh, helps 10% of the people that try that program out. And you've talked to a lot of people, what are the numbers really? A lot of the research I've done between eight and 12%. So 10% of the people that try Alcoholics Anonymous overall over the period of their, they will get sober, but 10% is not that high. But I'm hoping to help 10% of people. Yo, I could just keep talking. I wrote a blog for 280 days in a row this year at ASMR.community to help people with addiction recovery using these ASMR videos. But I, you know, I that was my doing it for free. And I wanted yeah. to get it to the top of Google and get 10,000 people there and start running advertisements so I could get paid. I was like, I'll do it for free for a year until I get paid. But then it's like, Google doesn't know if I'm writing about ASMR or addiction recovery. I'm going somewhere with this. And so then I moved it to addictionrecoverydaily.com, did that for like two weeks and then kind of stopped. And I feel bad about that. If anyone's finding that website, like I am alive, I exist. You can message me on Instagram, but I <laughs> haven't been doing that blog because it only existed for two weeks. I was like, I know it's not going to be a big deal to leave this year. And when I can pick it up again, it's always going to be a daily blog. So there'll be another point in my life where I pick it up and I write every day for like another six months about addiction recovery. And then I'll turn it off for six months or two years and then I'll pick it back up and I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. ASMR.community, I'm going to make the website and people make an ASMR video and they, they can upload it to YouTube, but I want them to upload it to my platform. And there's a lot of money left on the table in ASMR. I own a lot of websites dedicated to ASMR. And I was seeking a $25 million uh, investment, but that's crazy because I'm just a dude who's never been to college. Nobody's going to give me that. But after living in San Francisco for three years, like I know about angel investing. Like if you want to get a million dollars, it's just a couple of phone calls. That's what Elon Musk says. You know, I was sitting in Starbucks one day. This guy's like coding on his computer. I'm like, what are you working on, bro? He's like, oh, dude, I built a robotic juicer. I'm building a robotic juicer. We got $85,000 in funding, but eventually they had to shut the program down. <clears throat> but recently, I met the co-owner of Solterra. Have you heard of Solterra? They make uh, candles that are shaped like pyramids, and they have crystals inside of them. Yeah, I think I have heard of that. So I'm going to be on their live stream on March 3rd between 9.30 and 10 a.m. Uh, talking about ASMR on their live stream and about how it helped me with addiction recovery. Um, but the co-owner of that company, Will, I've been talking to him and he's a businessman, you know, and, and he's really been, you know, you gotta be a businessman. He's really got heart in what he does. Like when I'm talking to him about his business, like, yo, those candles, they're changing lives. Um, but he's really like taking it. Like when I'm thinking I need a $25 million investment to start something, that's the same as I'm never going to do it, but he's really brought it back to center focus for me. Like, I want ASMR.community to be the number one platform for ASMR, like ASMR through and through. You want to go there for ASMR, that's the platform. Like people go to YouTube right now and they watch these videos, but in the future, they're going to go to my website. No, I see that for sure. For sure, dude. Do you still, is that a still part of your daily routine, ASMR or, or weekly routine? Do you still listen often? No. But yes, like definitely sometimes it's crazy when I do it. It's like, yo, I forgot how much I like this. Mm -hmm. like, it's kind of crazy. Like I just put it on in the middle of the afternoon. I, I really like the ones with people talking. I'm partial to listening to women talk, you know, which is just like, you know, I'm a man. I think that's naturally okay. Um, you know, just like even just sometimes like a, a vocabulary builder, a soft speaking, mm -hmm. you know, all sorts of stuff. Sometimes I like when they're tapping on the wood or tapping some wood together. But I haven't, I used <laughs> to do it all the time. used to listen to it all the time. And then as I was traveling in the hostels, it would be like, yo, I'm like 
in the middle of, you know, Vietnam and everybody out there is partying really hard and like, I feel like I want to have a drink, you know, but I put the headphones on. So while I was traveling anywhere in the world, I could fight addiction recovery with this ASMR stuff. And, and then, uh, slowly it's like, no, I'm listening to it just if I want to. And then I started writing the blog and every single morning for 285 days in a row or something this year, I listened to ASMR and that was like part of my job, but I haven't really listened to it in like four or five, six, seven weeks or a couple of times, but it's like, it's there when I need it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I consider myself an expert on ASMR, not making it, but about the business side of it and how it can help people like, uh, yeah. you know, but, but, uh. I just got lost. Where was he going? <laughs> is it is it is it just the the sounds that do it for you? Because because uh, like you were saying, the visual audio too. I, I like watching that too. How it's like you know the, the slice through something cutting and it's just oh soap. the hot perfect. knife yeah yeah, yeah. The hot knife videos yeah <laughs> or cutting soap though. There's those too. Just bars of soap yeah. And so I told you before that ASMR is the physiological response. It's like equivalent to goosebumps or maybe an orgasm. It's like, you can't help it. It just happens to you. Mm -hmm. And so I find those those videos pleasurable. And I've definitely written about like, yo, if watching these videos is something you consider doing instead of having a drink, definitely do it. There's no shame in watching someone cut soap for 30 minutes. Uh, if you're, if it's going to save you from having a drink, you know? Yeah. Um, but the real question is, it does it give you the tingles down the spine? Um, and that's few and far between for me nowadays. I used to get it a lot. Now I don't get the tingles as much. So like, yeah, definitely those videos play a huge part. And I, I think that they can help people with problems as serious as uh, addiction and anxiety and depression and PTSD. Uh, but also like, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of the whole phenomenon. You mm-hmm. know, I think yeah, yeah. that the, the sound is number one and more important. I, I will have I see ASMR videos that are sound without vi- visual, but I don't see a lot that's visual without sound. So like the visual adds to it. Is it normally visual by itself? Almost never. You know, even when they're cutting the soap, you hear it, even if it's like a soft. You hear yeah, the, yeah. the background or whatever. So the visuals true. play in a humongous part. Yes. That's true. Yeah. Damn. When did you find out about ASMR? 2000 February of 2013. So I guess we're in some sort of anniversary right now. It's February, <laughs> February of 2013. Who knows? It could have literally been this day. Um, water, the water whispers Elsa, I L S E. That's the first ASM artist I ever came across. Um, and I, I was looking up guided meditations on YouTube and then there was this girl playing with rocks in the water. I brought this up and, and so, but 2013 and then it was, it, it and I even tried to make, my own ASMR video back then, but it was like, I didn't have a lot of confidence with it. It was, it didn't turn out. And it's, there's a lot of money in ASMR, like billions of dollars left on the table. That's why I'm interested in it. Not just as like, it helped save my life. So (laughs) I, I feel responsible to it. Like the website ASMR.community, like I want to turn it into a platform. But when I was telling you, I, I, I feel like I need $25 million, it kind of felt like I was giving up. I have the website listed for sale for a million dollars. And I believe it's only worth $100,000. But the reason, and even that is only to somebody who really believes in it. But I think it's the ASMR.community, I think is the number one memorable website. Like ASMR.com, of course, you could have. But I have ASMR.community, and they call it the ASMR community. I also own the ASMRcommunity.com. But um, I have it listed for a million dollars, more is protection. Like if somebody's willing to pay a million dollars for that website, I'm still going to vet them. I'm going to be like, this stuff changed my life. You can't come in and just take these beautiful people's money. Don't just use their art form to like turn it into another capitalistic system. I'm here to protect that. These, these corporate interests have to go through me now. And I just went through alcoholism. 
So, like, no. If, if I have anything to say about it, ASMR is staying pure. And all these artists, if any ASMR artists are listening to this, they're going to be like, who the hell is this guy? But it's just like, I'm just a guy who listened to a lot of ASMR, and, and it helped me. It was like one-third of what helped me get sober along with traveling and just realizing that I need to be social. And it's like, but it, there's a lot of money left on the table. There's so much money left on the table, and somebody's going to figure out, like, yo, there's billions and billions and billions of dollars left on the table in ASMR. And I know how to get those billions of dollars out for sure. Mm-hmm. Damn. So. Wow. So, so now I want to switch it. Now we can switch it to cryptocurrency and, and some stocks. Are you into stocks as much as cryptocurrency? We talked a little I bit off there. used to be into more stocks. Uh, now I've switched to crypto. One time I made $10,000 in the stock market overnight on this thing called IGC, uh, India Globalization Capital. I bought $275 worth of stock and the next day I woke up and it was $10,000. And I was like, what's going on? That was my first, that was, probably, <laughs> that was one of my first experiences. Like, yo, but I didn't sell it right away. I didn't sell it until it was like 1800. I was like, is it going to go up? And then in a couple hours later, it was down to like 1800 or something. So I made money two seventy five to 1800. Like I still made money, but I didn't make $10,000. Um, and that was like, I've been in the stock market since 2016. I used to own like 30 shares of AMD. I've never made a lot of money, but it's always like, I'll, I always buy the right thing, but I never hold it because- Dude, like, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Sell too soon. Fuck. Sell too soon. And it's yeah. like, it takes practice. It does. Know? It does. To know the market and know what it's going to do. It's it's a, it's a art, dude. Yeah. There's that, work to and it. And I tell people just like, yo, buy $50 worth of stock every Wednesday for the rest of your life and never sell it. That's how you get rich. You just, every Wednesday, you buy the same amount of, just diversify it. Buy a different stock every Wednesday for the rest of your life and you will retire happy. You know, you want to buy things that you believe in. You want to buy stocks that you um, use or understand. And of course, now we're talking playing the market is like, that's why I always sell. You play the market. Yeah. But yeah. the the real good thing is to find a job, to take the income from your advertising revenue and invest it into stocks. Every Wednesday, you're buying 50 bucks. Warren Buffett says you should buy it the same day at the same time. You know, every Wednesday at 10 in the morning or whatever you're going to buy, just make it the same time every week, every day. Um, and that's how you find success in investing and you never sell it because if we had never sold our stocks, we'd be having a different conversation right now. Oh, dude. Fuck. So. Yeah. 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 And even, yeah, it sucks too. It's tricky. The whole stock game. Cause even like Brian, he's not big into stocks, but with the, the, when quarantine happened, you know, the whole coronavirus quarantine, uh, and we're getting government sent us money, government sent us 1200 bucks stimmy check. I tell him, dude, Tesla stock's down to 300 we a share right now. That's right. Let's buy some Tesla stock. We didn't do it right now. They're sitting at eight, over 800 bucks a share, and they're only going to go up. It's Tesla. Yeah. Right That's one thing I did want to, I did want to ask that earlier you mentioned Elon Musk, and I wonder, because we talk on the podcast a lot about and, and you've mentioned it too, the like new digital age, the new kind of like the way society is transitioning and cryptocurrency is a big part of that too. And I wonder, we always kind of ponder like where Elon Musk fits in like the whole picture, what his grand scheme plan is and all that. But um, going to Mars. Yeah, man, he's going to be Prince of Mars or whatever, King of Mars. <laughs> but no, I was just going to ask like, what 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 is your take on this new digital age and whatnot. I feel like you have an interesting take because of what you're trying to do in the digital sphere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are these cameras running? Yep. <laughs> uh, I'm going to show you some crazy shit right now. You ready? You guys squeamish? You scared of blood? Oh, eesh. I'm I'm not scared, but I'm like, whoa. Are you gonna we, pass no, right no, now? we're good. I'm we're not good. scared of blood. All right, I'm gonna, because this is, we're on video. So so this is, this is I'm going to show you a thing right now. Oh, I have a broken fuck. shoulder. It's crazy. I fell off my bicycle and this is like 
I fell off my bicycle. And my shoulders broke. Oh, no. And I want Elon Musk to give me an entire robotic arm. After I become a billionaire, I want Elon Musk to turn this entire thing into a cybernetic arm for me. I feel it's going to cost me like $30 million. But I want a robotic arm through and through. I want to become part of the robots. He oh. says the only way that we're not getting taken over by the robots is if we become a robot. So this is a result of alcoholism. If you want to avoid this, you got to stop drinking. There's no other answer. This is it. This, I got the tattoo oh, first by like a year. I got the tattoo first. Damn. This is, this is my life. This has been my life since I was 21. That's, a, that's a broken shoulder, you said? Yeah, I went to the doctor. The doctor laughed at me. He's like, oh, I can't do anything about that. But I have a strong, strong feeling that if I had money, they would have just fixed oh, that shit. Yeah. If I was yeah. Bill Gates' kid, I wouldn't be looking like this. For sure. So yeah. I don't have any kids, and part of the reason is I want to stack up some dough before I get kids, because like money just can protect you from things. Like This is fucked up what happened to me, and I'm swearing my bad. This is not good what happened to me, and it's like... But... I don't know really what to do about it. Can't do any construction work. It's part of the reason what's guided my career into writing also is because this broke when I was 21. You know what I mean? I still, yeah. had, I still drank heavily for so This made my alcoholism worse by far. You know, I got Damn. depressed. I was like, I didn't take off my shirt at the beach for like five years, bro. And, and it was like, yo, uh, but <laughs> got to do what you can with it. So eventually on the back cover of my book, it's just going to be me sitting there shirtless looking at you like this. Broken shoulder and all. Back cover of my book. And nobody's ever going to be able to forget what That's I look hard. like because I look crazy as hell. <laughs> it's interesting because I've seen it in, uh, one, I think, uh, one of your freestyles on IGTV. I see it. And I, I was going to ask, but I didn't want to ask. I was going to be like, do you have a fucked up shoulder? Because <laughs> that's ask, like a no, weird... Nobody does. And that's, that's like, I bring it up because it's, I never even meet a doctor who has ever seen this. The doctors don't know what to do about it. But... It's part of the alcoholism talk. It's part of the everything talk. So, and that's why I took my shirt off in the freestyle. It's just like, yo, this is part of my body, and I feel a little weird about it. But like, I can rap as hell. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, it's like you know, it took me a long time to become comfortable with it, and now it's like making other people comfortable with it. It's kind of like I know when I take my shirt off, I'm forcing something on people, whether or not they want it. You dude, know. you just gotta fuck with them. I, I, dude, if I had that, I'd take my shirt off. They'd be like, "Whoa!" I'd be like, "Your, shul your shoulder doesn't look like this." What the fuck do you mean? What do you yeah. mean, whoa? Sometimes I'll do that. Like if I just meet someone and they bump me into a wall, I'll be like, whoa. "Oh yeah." Pretend <laughs> you never had it. They'd be like, "Dude, what's wrong with your shoulder? What do you mean?" Oh my god! Ah, yeah, uh, you popped I've it out. You popped it out. Sure. <laughs> I've definitely done. That. But back to cryptocurrency, I don't really have like any, any, um, any like knowledge or any experience with cryptocurrency do you danny uh, yeah. dogecoin all right dude I, I mean before dogecoin i was on i could have made 30 grand on bitcoin but i but i didn't because i'm dumb and i didn't invest <laughs> in the right time this is but we got to talk about it or it never gets better yeah yeah yeah, yeah like yeah i mean literally yeah i bought some litecoin sold the litecoin bought some ethereum ethereum popped from 300 to 800 so i then had 800 had i put that into bitcoin I mean, now I'd be big, big, but at the time yeah. I was calculating it, like a couple years ago, I was like, or maybe like a year ago, I was like, I could have had like 30 racks right now. Like, yeah. I was like, Damn. And it's weird. Like, I remember back then, like back when it was first kind of like that word was first emerging Bitcoin, you know, and all of that was happening. I didn't like, it seemed like it might just be a passing thing. Like I didn't understand it and I didn't really like take time to understand it. But now it's, it's like almost like everyday cryptocurrencies like almost i'll tell you when i was word. my bad when no, i when i was fucking with bitcoin when i was messing with bitcoin it was like seven to eight thousand dollars a share now it's like 44 now it's like yeah hey siri how much how much is a bitcoin worth she's gonna give me up hey siri how much is a bitcoin worth 
Still better than Bixby on Samsung. Oh but my gosh, no, because what's happening this is, is it's, it's picking it. It's picking it up on my phone and my computer. Okay, Google. How much is a Bitcoin worth? I choose Google. That's a Google phone? Yeah. Nice, dude. Fuck yeah. Nice. I buy all my websites with Google. You got to make a choice. Apple, Google. Yep. You know? So so I, I ended up choosing Google. You know. Nice. And um, it just tested. We just tested it. Did. better. Blue Siri. <laughs> a little bit that I just flexed on Siri. Yeah, that was a flex, dude. For sure. Yeah, for sure. But what's your experience with cryptocurrency? When did you first dabble in it? So my father's boss has been mining Bitcoin since like 2012. You know, that's when I first heard about it. And this is, I'll tell you. My dad would be like, yeah, I always have to yell at my boss because he's like diverting all the computer power to mine Bitcoin. And now when I think back on it, I'm like, this guy was spending thousands of dollars to obtain something that was only worth hundreds of dollars. Why was he doing that? You know, obviously now he owns lots of Bitcoins um, <laughs> and like not, I don't think he owns over a hundred, but he owns a lot. Um, and like this guy's spending a lot of time and energy to mine these things. So I've really been interested in it for a long time and I've understood like, yo, this is the future. Um, and blockchain is really the important part. Like, so blockchain is going to fix corrupt governments. So, and, and obviously, so there was this guy, Shitoshi Nakamoto. Some people think it might've been Elon Musk and Shitoshi Nakamoto solved a double spending problem, which existed with cryptocurrency because yep. it's like, when I give you a dollar, you can't like quickly duplicate it. And then there's $2, but when it's a digital currency, obviously a coder, somehow that's possible. I can give it to you, but then it's on both sides. Mm -hmm. So Satoshi Nakamoto fixed this and then released Bitcoin on the yep. blockchain where he fixed it. Like that blockchain was a design where you can't double spend. So then he invented the blockchain. Bitcoin is more of like a, just a, it, it just happened to go with the blockchain. I think it's like gold. You know, he created some gold. Could have been anything. He created Bitcoin because earlier than that in the 90s, there was like a thing called BitGold. It was coming out of San Francisco. There was like five key, uh, five or seven key people who were really working on cryptocurrencies in the 90s. But then Shitoshi Nakamoto came, come in, comes in, solves the double spending crisis and creates the blockchain. So cryptocurrency is like uh, important. What's that noise? I think it's coffee machine. Oh, word. That's wonderful. Uh, cryptocurrency is the future because of decentralized financing. That's complicated. Let's just talk about the blockchain. The blockchain is important because let's say you live in uh, Tanzania and you buy a house. You're, you're an African and you buy a house in Tanzania. And then there's a coup and your government is no longer the same government. And then the new government comes in and says, this is our land. And you say, no, 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 I paid the old government, you know, $300,000 for this huge piece of land. You can't just come take it from me. And they say, those guys aren't around anymore. It's ours. The blockchain is going to change that because the blockchain is a record of what happened available to everyone on the planet all at the same time that can never be replicated or destroyed. And so you solve the double spending crisis with this blockchain but you can use it to keep track of real estate. And now the only reason the United States can't step into a country like Venezuela and change things is because Venezuela writes the laws so that the government's not breaking any laws, you know, like, oh, instead of breaking the laws, we just write it. So we're not breaking the laws. And as America, America government respects that, like, yo, we can't save their people. We can't come in there. Of course, we have a long history of going into countries and fucking things up, but I'm just using America as like, a, if a country wants our back, they have to also provide us with paperwork like, yo, I want to help you, but you got to meet me halfway. 
blockchain is going to allow all of these governments to meet the the powerful governments halfway and it's like it's going to solve corrupt governments all across the world so as countries like venezuela and tanzania and you know especially other countries in africa ethiopia i'll talk about that in a second as they start to adopt uh cryptocurrency like like bitcoin is going up because you're buying it i'm buying it you're buying it but we don't even need it. We don't even, our government's like pretty good. Like we don't even, our, our blockchain, like we're going to get our corruption fixed and it's like pretty minimal, you know what I mean? But when everyone in India gets fed up with, you know, renting money from their government and they're like, we want gold, we're tired of renting this crappy money, they're going to switch to Bitcoin. And then it's going to drive up the price as everyone in, in India switches to it. And then it's going to have a wall. And then as everyone in Venezuela switches to Bitcoin, it's going to drive up the price again. And... Every single person on planet Earth is eventually going to have some Bitcoin. I don't see why not. I don't see every person on Earth has money, right? But money is like not a real thing. It used to be gold, but for the last hundred years, money is just like, dude. Some places it's chickens. Yeah, <laughs> like for real, dude. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Some Straight places, up. yeah. It's 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 got to be backed by value. A chicken is backed by value because you can eat it. Mm -hmm. uh, the United States dollar is backed by value because it's stand. It's backed by the United States. You can go any. You go anywhere in the world. I've been all around the world. You go anywhere. You're in the middle of Laos. You're in the middle of Thailand. You're in the middle of Vietnam and nobody speaks English. If you pull out American dollars, they're going to know exactly how much they're worth and they're going to be willing to take them from you. You try and pay in America. You try and go to another country and pay with rupees. They're going to look at you like you're crazy, man. And that's because the American government, people trust the American government more than the Indian government. So they trust the money more than they trust the money from India. But Bitcoin has no government standing behind it. It is the ultimate version of trust. You can trust it because it was created by some dude in, in 2009 and he just let it go and doesn't touch it. And it's just a thing that exists. And it, there's no trust to be had. It just is. And so that's the future of money. Um, like we 29% of the American dollars that exist only came into existence in the last year. We printed 29% more money this year. So if you had $100 last year, it's only worth uh, $71 right now, but we are not feeling that effect yet, but we will. We Damn. will feel it soon. Damn. Damn. Do you know what I'm confused about too when it comes to Bitcoin? That that broke down a lot of shit that I had, uh, a lot of questions that I had. I'm trying to stop cussing. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but um, do you know like like when it comes to mining, like do you know how many Bitcoin there can be? Because I know there's like all these miners. So it's like- 21 million. Really? Wow. Yeah. 121 million Bitcoin. They won't all be mined until the year, like 100 years from now. Uh, that really, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 121 million Bitcoin. They won't be mined for like another 100 years or something like that. The last yeah. one will be mined in like 2164 or something like that. Those numbers, I hope I'm not mistaking the number of Bitcoin with the year that they'll be all done. But it's like in 100 years, they'll have all of them. And it's like 121 million Bitcoin, but already like 50% of those are gone. Because somebody like had them, you know, oh, I used to have 10,000 Bitcoin. I forgot the password to my wallet. Gone. Yeah. The, yeah. So, I've heard about that. Yeah. Dude, there's, there's like a guy that has so much. I think he has. You like, told me about it, right? Well, no, that's back in the day. The guy that paid two Bitcoin for that pizza. 10,000 Bitcoin. 10,000. And he's hating life right now. <laughs> but there's, there's a guy that uh, just has so much money in Bitcoin that forgot his password. And at that point, you know, there's. You can't just do what I did with Robinhood at yeah, that point. Yeah, it's like you, you have you have keys, yeah, you know, like RFID keys that you have to like you know enter in and stuff like that. It's it's possible to lose it forever. Yeah, but it doesn't uh, affect the overall value because 
So uh, uh, I told you Bitcoin was invented by a person or possibly persons. Nobody knows who this is. Like, mm -hmm. Nobody actually knows who this guy is. Shitoshi Nakamoto. Yeah, so, I've heard that, but nobody can. Yeah, I've heard that. Nobody knows who he is. One one millionth of a Bitcoin is one Shitoshi. So everyone's like, I can't afford a whole Bitcoin. Well, like we're going to measure it in Shitoshi, Shitoshi soon. So everybody just chill out. That's a thing? Wow. Yeah, you'll be going to the store and you'll buy things 300,000 Shitoshi. You know, you just buy That's it. Weird. It'll be like yen. That's like Dragon Ball Z. It sounds like what they use. Yeah, <laughs> Zinny. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, um, where was it going with that? Uh, with Satoshi coins or Satoshi as currency? And yeah, Satoshi's one one millionth of a Bitcoin. Something about like people want to own a whole coin, but like, oh, it doesn't matter that 50% of the coins are gone. Like, you know, if um, a bunch of people are walking through the woods and they find gold, They'll never know how much more gold they could have found. They just found what they found. So mm -hmm. we have what we have. We'll never know right. what more we could have had. Wow. Would the world be a better place if we hadn't already lost 50% of our Bitcoin? I say we're going through something called the emotional revolution. I think emotionally people would feel better if they could own more. But it just can't happen like that. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is like I bought I, I bought several Litecoin recently because I think it's going to pop off because people want to own something. Everything should follow the same trajectory as Bitcoin. But now people can't own a whole Bitcoin and emotionally they want to own a whole thing, but they can still own a whole Litecoin. It's only like 180 bucks right now. But I think in six months, a Litecoin will look pretty appetizing at $1,200, even though it's not worth that much. It might only be worth six or $800 when it's $1,200. But people are like, I can afford a whole one. I can afford a whole one. And you get 100,000 people all with that attitude. Like, well, it's expensive, but I can still get a whole one. It's like really going to drive the price up of that specific coin. Bitcoin yeah. is going to be more even because people can't buy a whole one. You get, you know, Tesla just bought $1.5 billion in Bitcoin or they announced that they did sometime this year. And like this was two days ago, you know. Um, but so, yeah, that's that's, you know, because I've been dabbling with this in the past couple of months thinking like, man, if I just day traded, I could probably make a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Uh, I want to have more of a safety net, but that's fun and I enjoy doing it, but I want a, a separate cash flow. Um, um, hoping to work with addiction recovery, you know, and, and funnel yeah, that yeah. money into real investing. You know, if you want mm -hmm. to have fun with your investments, you can, but so that's why I bought Litecoin is because I think it'll start looking appetizing at 1200 or maybe even $2,500 in the next couple of months. I don't think it'll be until it's 8,000 or $10,000 that people start to go, how much is this worth? Let me look at the Bitcoin chart. Whoa, it's going to drop down because it's good. It should follow Bitcoin. But if it starts to go up like this, sell your Litecoin because it's going to come back down. Yeah, so yeah. It should all follow Bitcoin. I think people are ever, I talk to people, they're like, oh, the bull market always goes over the winter. But the I think this bull market is going to continue until past next winter. Bitcoin's going to get all the way to 250000 And then sometime next year, Maybe as early as September, maybe as late as February or March of 2022, we're going to see it crash about 50%, all the way from 250,000, maybe back down to 100,000 or 150,000, and then go back up again. Like, But that's still you know, good. But my goal is to sell it before that big crash. But I do think it will go up a lot and then come back down. But this is not financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I got to clarify that. But, but dude, you know. You know, when you have those feelings, you know. You obviously do your research, and so... I mean, I, I have the same projectory with Bitcoin. I, I don't see why not. I mean, it, things on the rise, dude. There there are places, not here, but there are places you can use Bitcoin to pay for certain things. Yeah. I forget what country it was or where it was, but they have Bitcoin ATMs. I think the UK said that. Up. Wow. Yeah. Have yeah. you seen the, I've been seeing ads on YouTube for cryptocurrency cards or something. They're like some, so I don't even know. Gemini? 
I don't know. I, I, there was some ad for some crypto card where it's like... If it's Gemini, so they used to have advertisements for Gemini like all over San Francisco. And I worked in like the bottom floors of the skyscrapers at some fast food restaurants. So they'd be like, you know, those are their target audiences. Like you're working in the skyscraper, invest in cryptocurrency. But what it is, Gemini offers a card where you can get, you can spend cryptocurrency if you want. I think you can also spend cash, but you'll build cryptocurrency rewards. Oh. You know, screw bills and flight miles. You can get free cryptocurrency just by using your Gemini credit card. Oh, hmm. okay. True. So huh. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but I know I've heard of that one. And of course, other companies are going to get on this. I mean, it's, yeah. I, it's, I'm pretty sure I've, I thought it was the future for a long time, which I would have invested in it more. But now I think everybody's like, yeah, this is the future, right? Like, for sure. Yeah. Were, were you doing anything with the, the AMC GameStop boom a couple of you weeks know, ago? I was watching it. And my friend, I went to the Reddit uh, meetup, world meetup last year in San Francisco. So wow. Like, yeah. What? And my friend was telling me about Wall Street bets. And I'm like, I should have been reading this all year. Like, this is, if I had just focused on that, I probably would have made a lot of money. But, you know, I got my passions. I got my things. Mm-hmm. I did the ASMR thing. I, yeah. I, I like traveling, doing all these things. So yeah. um, I'm lost. Where was I going? Um, your buddy the stockbroker i bought like four shares of nokia and lost five dollars or something but that was like after the whole thing like i didn't want to touch the game stuff i was just like i bought nokia um in pre-trading hours via Robinhood before i before they stopped the trading like i bought it in pre-hours but once 9 a.m hit you weren't allowed to buy any stock that day so i was like maybe nokia's gonna go up maybe it's not but it did not like lost five dollars. But you know, I started reading a lot about that. They were talking about GameStop and how it compares to Nokia. Nothing happens if you drive the GameStop stock up, but if you drive Nokia all over the place, you can really cause a lot of problems because Nokia is responsible for like all the cell phone reception in Europe. So if Robinhood traders suddenly bankrupted their company, and then they got to talking about like Nokia is is Nokia even like an American company, so these other European companies could pull out of the American stock market, be like, yo, your people are fucking crazy. We don't even want to be on your trading markets anymore, you know? So this is like, a, I bought Nokia stock and I lost $5. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it happens. It happens. Yeah, I've lost a lot of money on stocks. Haven't made much. I've also lost probably way more on scratch-off tickets, dude. Scratch-offs <laughs> are the worst, bro. You, you go in with such a feeling. You're like, dude, let me this get you a day. Dude, you have that feeling, and you're I'm like, quitting my job. no, dude, there's times where I'm like just in there, and I'm like, you just, looking just at buy it. a 25. 25 is your lucky number. You know, it's your birthday. Buy a 25. You buy a 25. It's a $30 ticket. You're out 30 bucks. You're, but you have that feeling. You're like, dude, I'm going to get it. Not there. I All filmed right, a video of myself. Uh, <laughs> In regards to addiction recovery, before I came here, I was in Las Vegas and it was like five in the morning in the casino. And I set up myself, I set up my camera, and I recorded myself playing a slot machine for like two hours, put like 300 bucks into that thing. And the whole time I'm talking to the camera, I was like, You don't understand. I was like, I feel like I'm going to win right now. And I was like, <laughs> not winning. I'm like, You don't understand. Like, this is what addiction looks like. I feel, you feel every single time before you pull this. I'm so optimistic that I'm going to win. Like some people aren't like that. Some people are just like, they know they're like, no, it's not going to work. You know, mm-hmm. right before I do it, before I buy that scratch off, I am so confident. It's insane. The amount of confidence <laughs> yeah. I have in that, but you know, and then when you yeah. win, it's cool, but yeah, we don't. Yep. That's facts. Oh, we've covered a lot and we haven't even touched on local stuff. Like we haven't even touched on what you've been doing with music and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we are going to do a freestyle though, right? Oh, yeah, I'm down. Uh, yeah, hell yeah. We got beats. Wow, yeah, we got beats. We got beats for Shout you. Shout out, Soren. We got beats. Yep, Germany. Yeah, Woo. yeah. got um, a producer out there. But, but, uh, but what are the things you're doing right now? Like, uh, as of late, what, what are your missions locally? 
So, you know, I came to Florida, started a business, and eventually I started setting up at these local vendor markets and met a lot of cool people. Um, there's a couple of people I want to give shout outs to, you know, uh, my guy, Marcelo Waves. Yeah. You can find him on Instagram. He's making uh, introductions. You know, he's got a production. He makes some good introductions. Um, you know, and his uh, girlfriend, Rashida, she sells crystal jewelry. I'm getting into a lot of the, like, uh, Kelsey's Treasures. That's another uh, friend of mine, and, and they all make crystal jewelry. And I was going out there. Uh, making tie-dye shirts and selling them more is like a way to get paid for writing. Uh, I made a hundred tie-dye shirts. I've got some with me. I'm going to give you all some after the show. What? And, uh, Appreciate yeah, sure. it. And, uh, and I, I was doing that. So then I'm getting into the local environment and doing that, but I don't have like a love for making tie-dye shirts, but I was going to these vendor markets and seeing, you know, the, the open mics and stuff. And so, um, then over Christmas, I'm thinking like, then I stopped writing my daily blog that I had been writing for 280 days. I stopped that at the end of November. And I was like, yo, what I really want to do, like, I can't lie to you. The only, what, the only consistent thing in my life is that I love to make rap music. I rap for two hours a day. You know, you ever heard of the 10,000 hour rule? If you do yeah, anything. To master oh, yeah, yeah, something. Yeah. yeah. So I'm probably, I, I, I estimated I'm between 15,000 and 17,000 hours of freestyle rapping. You know, I wow. definitely hit my 10,000 hours a long time ago. Like when I started doing the math after I read the book about it and I was like, well, let me find, that's what I do the most. So that's what I did the math on. I love to rap and, and you can't hide from it. You can, it seems like, yo, if I become a popular enough rapper to make money, that's just going to be, how is life so good to me? How, why, what, you know, it's almost like, I don't know if I'm ready for it, but I am ready for it. And I'm out here doing it now. It's like, so that's I, crazy, bro. I still have my shirts. And then this band, San Carlos Park, uh, San Carlos Park Music on Instagram, you know, they started hosting these open mics and it was my vibe. You know, I'm in San Francisco. I've, I've rapped 17,000 hours. I've been doing this for 10 plus years. It's not like I've never had a chance to go on stage. And, but I just wasn't feeling the vibe. But when they were up there, I was like, bet, I'm going to go up there and spit some freestyles. Kind of nervous. And this was like last week I went and spit like my first couple of ones. What? But since then I've done lots of shows and I'm really Changing the confidence. Last night I was at the Cabo Culture in Naples, just shredding it, bro. I was just shredding <laughs> well, it. Yeah, yeah so yeah. so now I'm doing that, and I'm hoping to bring 150 people out to see me rap. Yo, and this morning I met this girl, beautiful girl. She's only 18, but she was spitting some crazy bars, and she's a gangster. And it's going <laughs> to pair extremely well with what I'm doing. So Thursday and Friday, this for Thursday and Friday, I'm hoping she comes out and joins me to spit some freestyles. I, I think I can bring 150 people out to see me rap. Uh, I think me and her can bring 1,200 people out easy to see us freestyle. Like, she was doing really good. Um, so that's what I'm going for now. I've been jamming with this band, San Carlos Park, and, like, I... Uh, and I've been doing some other things along with addiction recovery. Like, I'm hoping to make an immediate cash flow with addiction recovery, but I've been investing myself a lot. Uh, talking business with all the local markets and all this woo-woo. I really love business, and I was talking to all these people about how they should own their own website and stuff, but the truth is, like, I just love to rap, and I want to rap, and now I'm out here rapping, and I'm actually, the last week I've been, this is better than I've ever felt. And my goal, we scheduled this, like, a month and a half ago, I was like, all right, when I go on the pod, when I go on Palm City Podcast, I want to at least give people an opportunity to spend money on me. Like, I have to have some sort of setup, like, sign up for my newsletter, or, like, this is what I'm doing, because I just wrote the blog for 185 days, and it's like, I wrote 200, I can tell you to go to the blog, but that's not a way for me to make money. But right now, you can go on Fiverr and I offer the addiction recovery services, and people can uh, can hire me to write anything about addiction recovery. But then also, I'm out freestyle rapping all over Southwest Florida, and I, I am 
I'm confident that if I work hard, I'm going to be a famous rapper. Like, I'm bringing them yeah, When I start are, rapping, I got to beat them back with a stick, bro. Like, there's <laughs> around me. Yes, sir. I got to beat them back with a stick. I, I got to come see you sometime. Cause yeah, I, I yeah, been I'd out love to, to come see you. I haven't been out to a bunch of events recently, like in the last couple months, but but I'm all about that kind of stuff. Yeah, and all my friends in San Francisco are like, oh, I can't wait till I can go out again. I'm like, yo, you can. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, florida.sparktwain.com i have a schedule of events there it's the link in my instagram bio right now but like somebody else is like you should make a schedule and then charge the vendors like three dollars a month to see it and i was like that's a good idea but i'm just gonna make it and hopefully bring thirty thousand people in the local area just to that's where they go every friday when they're like what's going on they can go to my schedule yeah and then i can run advertisements and make a little bit of money that way mm-hmm. but so if you want to see me rap uh you can go i got this schedule florida.sparktwain.com and it's got all the events I go to with San Carlos Park Music, uh, but then there's also additional events on there for most of the Cava bars in the area. And I try to cover everything between Naples and Sarasota. Sarasota's pretty far north, but everything between like Naples and, and Punta Gorda or Sarasota, I, I'm trying to find all the local events and then put them on my website and keep that up. But that's where you can can find the schedule of where I'll be rapping. But it's I'm all over the place with San Carlos Park Music, uh, rapping at the Cava Culture Cava bars in Southwest Florida. Yeah. Wow, that's dope, dude. You're doing a lot, man. Uh, man yeah. many talents you got a lot of bags thanks that if it's too much you know but now that i find out that we're in a renaissance i feel more of a renaissance man i feel at home now. yeah so. dude i'd hate to add more to your plate but you know what you should do tell me start a fucking podcast yeah dude, I have a podcast. do you yeah spark twain versus the world it's there on. it is yeah I, i've only recorded like five or six episodes since march but i was living in, i met a guy who rode his bicycle from rio de janeiro brazil to san francisco california it took him 13 months and I interviewed him like this was like 2018, and that was where I got the idea. Like, yo, I'm I met people like that every every day. I met the guy who drew up the cartoon for Inspector Gadget, the Inspector Gadget in Canada. Like, I met the guy who's like, yeah, the new Inspector Gadget. Like, I doodled that, and he got paid, and now he's <laughs> now he's touring San Francisco. Like, that's when I met him, you know. So I would just meet these people all the time. I was like, I gotta set up a podcast for the hostel, and I bought all this stuff, and I came here, and I was only gonna like hang out at my dad's for a little bit, and then go to Asia. But then the whole world shut down. So I have yeah. all the equipment. Like, I bought all this stuff. Some of it's with me. And now I use it to record San Carlos Park's live performances. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a 3D camera, 360 and 3D camera. Oh, where is it? I record it? all our performances. So you'll actually be able to go on YouTube with virtual reality goggles and watch the San Carlos Park performances. That's awesome. From, nice, like, dude. the back of the stage. I'm that's next level. That's next level, yeah. So I have a podcast, several episodes, uh, five or six episodes. But I'm not like as hardcore on it as I want to be. But, you know, it, for me, it's important that I'm doing it. And it's like for the preservation of history, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. And you can always there. go back and upload, you know, uh-huh. you're feeling you want to yeah. upload. Boom. It's there. It's easy. Yeah. yeah. Just the way hearing you talk, dude, you're like, you don't stumble over words and you just keep going. Dude, well I love spoken. that. Like that is very podcast esque dude like it's been very easy to talk to you this and you're time. a wealth of knowledge like this is this yeah dude yeah like i'm like wondering something about bitcoin i've had forever and then i ask you you're like oh yeah there's actually this mic like you're very knowledgeable super dope yeah we gotta to be you. back i feel like there's so much we could talk about for you know we could just bring up one topic and just talk for like hours or yeah I mean? dude yeah yeah i and i coming in here i'm like you know I don't know if this is going to be an hour or three hours, but I definitely could talk for three hours. But I, I think it's nice to break things up. And yeah. People, and if we had sure. the camera upgrade that we want to have and the production quality we want to have, we could go for hours and hours. But That's for true. now, the cameras are on their last leg. Yeah, things I see. Yeah. <laughs> They're all <laughs> off the drop. <laughs> We're down to a phone and a GoPro. <laughs> Where can they find us at, Danny? You can find us at City of Palms Podcast. Uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can watch us on YouTube. New episodes every Monday. 
Uh, follow my personal IG at King Lombardo forty seven. Plug your plug your personal real quick. We don't plug our personals enough. You can follow me at at p r o f dot shred Professor Shred. I wish I could get the full Professor Shred handle. That dude ain't been active since like two thousand eleven. It's him, Loki. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this has been episode eighty two. Spark Twain, thank you very much. Hit him with the outro, Sorn.